Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. When we are in front of a camera, I'm talking about we, me and the Chris Farley's and the other, as you say, tortured souls of the world, things are great. And it it comes from a a little bit of a desperation. There is a desperation like, see, you guys like me. It's like that Sally Fields thing, you know, like. I can feel it and and I'm providing a service. All this misery and bullshit, it it wasn't all for naught, you know? And I think that's just where all the, the great characters come from. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Really, really happy and excited today to be around one of the most amazing and talented people that I've ever been around in this business. And I'm talking about Andy Dick. And without further ado, let's give him the proper introduction. Hopefully, he'll be alive afterwards. Andy Dick is a multifaceted comedian, writer, and director who's entertained millions on both the small and big screen for nearly three decades. Despite his well-documented struggles with substance abuse and run-ins with the law, Andy has proven himself as a -a once-in-a-generation performer whose talent and staying power in Hollywood is undeniable. He was born on December 21st, 1965 in Charleston, South Carolina, and was adopted at birth by Alan and Sue Dick. His father was in the Navy, so Dick spent time living with his family in Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New York, and Yugoslavia before moving to Chicago in 1979. After graduating from high school, he joined Chicago's famous Second City, attended Columbia College Chicago, and took improv comedy classes at the Improv Olympic Theater. Dick started his TV career as a cast member on the beloved sketch comedy program, which won the Emmy Award that year, The Ben Stiller Show. 
In 94, he made sitcom appearances on The Nanny and starred in a Get Smart remake for Fox. But one of his most iconic TV roles came in 1995, portraying Matthew Brock on NBC's News Radio, which ran until 1999. Andy Rhodes starred and directed in all 21 episodes of his own sketch show on MTV, The Andy Dick Show, which ran until 2002. He went on to co-star on the ABC sitcom Less Than Perfect from 2002 to 2006. In 2004, he starred in the satirical reality television show also on MTV called The Assistant. Dick's recent TV guest appearances include CSI, Two Broke Girls, Workaholics, Community, Family Guy, and Love on Netflix. Andy competed in the eighth season of Celebrity Poker Showdown and was a contestant on season 16 of Dancing with the Stars. On film, Dick has had memorable roles in teen comedies like Road Trip and has been featured in several Ben Stiller projects, Relationships, Everybody, including Reality Bites as well as both Zoolander movies. He's also appeared in Old School with Will Ferrell, the documentary The Aristocrats, Employee of the Month with Jessica Simpson and Dane Cook, and in 2009 made an appearance in Judd Apatow's Funny People. Dick has also lent his voice for many animated films TV shows and video games, including Hoodwinked, Clone High, Hey Arnold, Dilbert, The Lion King 2, Grand Theft Auto, among others. While under house arrest, Dick created and starred in the five-episode web series House Arrest with Andy Dick. Dick is also the lead singer of comedy band Andy Dick and the Bitches of the Century. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today, Andy Dick. Oh my God, that was the best intro i've ever had i'm gonna hire you actually for my eulogy (laughs) if i die which will be very shortly what are you drinking holy crap this thing i'm drinking this swamp water has the base of it about this much is coffee do you know that coffee has one it's one of the highest antioxidant things known to man that and cacao are you still with your girl barry Yeah, we, we can go have fun now. We still love each other. That bitch kept you down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really liked her, but all girls do that. Mine just moved to Alaska. Yes, I was dating a girl. Two years. You've always had the most beautiful women in the world. I could show you a picture, but she would kill me. She's gorgeous. This girl's 22. And how old are you now? 51. Well, I'm taking after Dennis Hopper. When I, because my first movie I ever did was with Dennis Hopper. My, I had one scene and it was with him, and we be, we became friends. Uh, but like all of my friendships, I I ruined them. So at his wedding reception, he was sixty five and he was marrying a twenty one year old ballerina, and I'm like, that's my that's my guy. But I ruined. I really did kill the. You never killed our relationship. No, I did, but you're just so forgiving. <laughs> yeah, I did, though. <laughs> you're loving because you know it's fucking true. I am forgiving. You're one of my favorite people in this whole town. You really are. When I, when I saw you at the um, Malibu Fest Carnival thing, I was begging you to take me back. You were? Yes. I, I wasn't dancing around it. I said, Barry, please. But I did reach out to you, and we did talk a little bit. It's whatevs, Barry. 
it's what whatevs. <laughs> but I'm glad where you are right now, because Jimmy Miller is a wonderful man. He's and the best. Next to you. That Molly Mandel is my point person. Great, too. Jimmy is an extraordinary guy. Sometimes he smiles. Yeah, he's a, he's a rough one. He's, um... He said, Andy, if you take a drink, you're out. I'm done. And I like that kind of toughness. But on the other hand, there's something I don't like about it because I'm a rebel at heart. And if I'm told not to do something, it's it's like not laughing in church. I'm going to laugh in church. I'm going to have to leave because I'm I'm not allowed to do something. It makes me crazy. What would you laugh at in church? Oh, I would just make shit up. My brother and I would make each other laugh. You know, it could be anything. Anything. What well, If there's a place you're not allowed to laugh, I can't not laugh. When I was in Boy Scouts, I remember we went, or maybe it was Cub Scouts, and we went around seeing carols in an old folks' home, room to room to the old folks. And they were just, these old people, a lot of them were so loony bins. I had never been in a, in a building where there were just tons of old people. Now, I, granted, I respect old people. I respect my elders. How old are you? That's why you're here. Are you older than me? I hope so. I know. It's hard to find people older than me. <laughs> we still have our hair. I know. It's, mine is thinning on top. Is yours? Maybe it is. I have no idea. I don't have that thing that you have, that line in your chin. My girlfriend hates it. Well, how could she hate it? Every person who has one is good looking. My girlfriend hates everything about me. She won't even let people know we're dating. Where do you meet her? Uh, in rehab. Isn't that illegal? It's not that it's illegal. It's just frowned upon. They actually say, and it's not in the big book or anything, but they say don't even get into a relationship in your first year of sobriety. But, you know, fuck that shit. It helped me. It helped her. We've been together for two years, over two years. They always say a woman knows within five minutes of meeting a guy if she's going to be with them. Did she know? Oh, she must have known when she, I was already in this particular rehab, Soba. It's a great rehab. Saved my life, actually. And I, I stayed in Soba for two motherfucking years. I'm, si- I'm sitting there in the rehab. She comes rolling in, s- strolling in with her suitcase on a roller. And she's just standing there in the hallway just looking around. And I saw her and I went, wow, what a vision. Sometimes, you know, a girl walks in the room and they're just like a vision, like lights shooting off them. And also, I thought, way out of my league. Like, there's that's a girl that just wouldn't ever be with me and then but also I was trying to trying to go full on gay at the time women have crushed me really bad but then she started flirting with me and I said well you know I I don't know I think I'm gay so you're barking up the wrong tree lady I thought that until New Year's Eve she gave me a little kiss and my dick woke up it's like blink 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 like what oh fuck and it's been like two years. But honestly, I'm pretty shallow. She's just so hot. She's so hot. Do you think she thinks you're with her because... She's so hot? Or do you think she thinks you're with her yeah. because of her personality? Well, her personality, she's wild and weird. She's crazy. But I like it. And also... You have to be 
crazy to date me. You just ha would have to be. You shouldn't date me. Every Everybody. I'm talking to anyone out there. You shouldn't date me. And I'm not dateable. I'm like just not... But then I meet somebody like that. And the cool thing is she's not in, into acting. And I like the fact that she doesn't want people to know. She works in politics. That's kind of why she, she might want to move up in politics. And if people found out she dated me, she'd be done. Her road to presidency would be over, cut short. You know what I mean? So she's smart. And she's so hot. And she's a bitch. She hates my butt. And she hates everything about me. But she fucking loves that dick. What is it about you from the waist down that makes you different from other guys? Mm. Length and girth. Seriously, I'm not joking. My big dick, yeah, from the waist down. It's just nice and real pretty. You want? I'll show it to you. Have you? You've probably seen it. I've been in rooms where I've seen it. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, throughout your life, even when you were younger, you would streak or expose yourself. So it was a pattern. Because you're not allowed to. Remember, this is the rebel thing. You don't. You don't take your clothes off. Oh yeah. Watch me take my clothes off. I've never felt the inclination to take my clothes off and run around in a public room. Maybe I don't like my body as much as you do. I don't like my body, but I like my dick. I think I have an odd-shaped body. I'm skinny. I don't have shoulders. It's like I wish I could wear clothes everywhere except my dick. The first time you did it, you were a young teenager or whatever. Yeah. You have to feel comfortable to be able to do that. Or are you saying that... It's not about comfortability. It's about facing your fears. That's what it was. And that's what me in, in acting is and was. It's any, there's a, a teacher of mine said, you, you need to follow your fears. And then somebody else taught me, if you have a fear, you don't wait for it to go away. You just kind of hold its hand and go in, in to whatever it is you're afraid of with the fear. Like, okay, fear, let's do this. One time when I was streaking as a preteen with my friends, it was so late at night. It was like it must. It was turning into morning, five or six a.m. The sun was coming up, and we're butt fucking naked running through the neighborhood. We're, we're not holding our clothes. Our clothes are at the house. We streak out of the house. We're running around the neighborhood naked, and I see my dad walking the dog. So we're just hiding in shrubs. <laughs> and I don't know how we made it back to the house. Now, your dad never saw you streaking? No, he saw something way worse. I was, a, I was a teenager now. In high school, I had my first kind of real, I was my, it was actually my second or third boyfriend. I always had boyfriends and girlfriends. By the way, do you know when I came out of the closet? I never knew you officially came out of the never, closet. I never came out because I never went in. Everybody in high school knew I had boyfriends and girlfriends. I didn't hide it. That's my point. So I'm with this guy. I used to be in love with this guy. He, he, he taught me how to masturbate. I didn't even know there was such a thing. I was coming. People were sucking my dick a lot. Everyone just wanted to suck my dick. In fact, to the point where I don't even like getting my dick sucked anymore, which is probably weird to you, but I... I don't like it. But here I am. I'm about 17, 18 years old in high school. Or maybe maybe we just graduated. But me and my track star boyfriend, he and I, it was once again one of those 5 a.m., 6 a.m., way early in the morning. We had been drinking all night Jack Daniels. Now we are butt naked in our step-down living room. So it's a big open kitchen and living room. The kitchen's up here. You step down two steps into the living room. They're all just one big room. 
Um, and we're in the step-down living room, butt naked, but the sliding door is open. He's on his hands and knees with his head out the sliding door, vomiting because we had drank so much. I'm behind him, holding him with my dick pressed up against his butt. It looks like I'm fucking him. I wasn't, but it looks like it because I'm pressed up against him, holding his waist and laughing maniacally because it's just funny to me that he's projectile vomiting while I'm just humping on him. And I look up and my dad is standing right there in in the kitchen, just staring at us. We locked eyes. I sobered up and he just didn't, he just, we locked eyes for a good five, 10 seconds. And he just turned around and walked out and he never brought it up. And you never brought it up? No, no way. Oh dad, remember when I was fucking that guy when he was throwing up in the living room? You want to talk about that? (laughs) I'm not going to talk about it. And your mother never took you aside after that and said, Dad told me something. No, but they did take me aside once. They said, your father and I need to talk to you. They sat me at the kitchen table and said, yeah, we know that you like to get dressed up in women's clothing. I said, what the fuck? What? And they said, we found your mother's dresses laid out on the bed. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I was doing characters. I really was. I was doing characters. I said, well, didn't you see my... Didn't you see dad's suits laid out too? I was like dressing up with my friend. We were like role playing and dressing up in their clothes. And we just didn't put them back in the closet. That's, that was a one-time thing. Well, no, it wasn't because I, I, I have Daphne Aguilera. It's one of the characters I do. But I don't get off on it. It's not a sexual thing. But they were very worried about it. Like it was so taboo and weird. Even if I was getting dressed up as a woman and jerking off or whatever you do. Who cares? What was the first sexual experience you had? Was it with a man or a woman first? I had a girlfriend first in first grade named Marianne. And I remember I just liked the feeling of having a girlfriend. And and we didn't do much except hold hands. And I laid on her lap when we would be on the bus. And it just felt really good. Um... The first time I felt sexual, though, was when there was a little skin-on-skin skin action. Like when I when I touched somebody's skin, I didn't have a lot of affection for my parents growing up. And when I say not a lot of affection, I don't think I had any. I don't even remember being hugged. So I didn't – I was like kind of like – and I was adopted on top of it. So you ripped away from your biological mother. You're thrown into this family that's not very affectionate. But they were great, and I love them. I just posted a picture on my Instagram of my whole family. My brother, our dog, our cat, my mom, my dad, and they are all dead. I'm next and last in my immediate family. I'm just I'm just hanging on, hanging by a thread. Your brother was adopted. How did he yeah. pass away? He died a few months ago. That's why I had that road bump, a little glitch in the sobriety machinery over the holidays. There was a glitch little little meaning the most minuscule uh lapse that i've ever ever had in my life actually but it was because i felt something my brother and i were connected he was adopted from another family so we weren't related but all we had was each other growing up because we moved around so much so we we would move to another city and we didn't know anybody but we knew each other 
I had that same feeling when a few months ago when something was going really wrong with me to the point I was on stage doing a song, one of my stupid, silly songs. And in the middle of it, I petered out and just put the mic down and walked off stage. I've never done that in my life. And then it hit me. I said, I have to just go see my brother because I knew he was sick in the hospital. The next morning I booked a ticket and left that day and went to see my brother. And when I got into the room, I, he just was way worse than I had anticipated. And I said, you're, this isn't good, Jeff. We were laughing about it. I'm like, you're circling the drain. Did he know that he was dying? Yeah, but he always just didn't think he would. Invincible, drank himself to death. So he's got a belly the size of a watermelon like uh, I guess his liver was just so swollen up. He had all these other issues going on. And then the doctors confirmed. They said, yeah, he's not doing well at all to the point where we just kind of want to move him up to the next floor upstairs, which is the hospice floor where he's just going to die. And it could be months. And I said, well, let's do that now. And I'll just fucking stay with him. I'll camp out because he's my brother. And then, but then once we moved up to the thing, they, that that that's when it really it started happening fast because they down in the in the hospital they were he was all hooked up to so many things drugs and machines and breathing things and then when they took those all away it just I asked them to bring a cot in for me and we we I laid on the cot next to him and we just talked and um, then he's then he wasn't able to talk anymore within a day he wasn't talking but he was responding and laughing a little like that. He wanted, um, you know, it got to the point where I, I could only put ice chips there and wet wet his um, whistle with, uh, it's like a sponge on a stick. And I thought, and I thought, God, he probably wants a fucking beer. So I went, I, I said, and I, I had been there, now I had been there for like three or four days and I hadn't eaten or drank anything. I was just so like kind of freaking out. And I asked the nurse, I said, can I, uh, is there a place to buy water around here? I didn't want to drink the Jacksonville, Florida tap water. You know, I'm just, I don't drink the LA tap water. So they said, yeah, there's a Walgreens, but you have to walk a little bit and you better hurry up before the sun goes down. I'm like, what do you, why? Like, do you know where we are? This neighborhood's very bad. And so I said, well, I better just go. So I, I, I went outside and the sun was going down and people were starting to come out and it was getting a little scary. And I had this feeling, oh my God, I, I know nobody here. I'm here and if something happens, I, I just don't know anybody. And then the, the immediate second thought after that was, yeah, I do. I do have somebody. I have my brother. And I had that same feeling that I had back when we were kids, we, we, all we had was each other and no one really should die, have to die alone. And he didn't, I got water, I got one beer and I used that sponge to dab his lips with the beer. And then, you know, he, he just, he died. He died the next day, but he died when I was on the phone with the woman that controls uh, my dad's money. My dad left, not a lot. My dad left a couple hundred grand. That's good amount, but he didn't leave it to me or my brother. He was smart, my dad. It would have been gone by now. We would have drank it. He left it to any of our kids, should we have kids. So he did have this kid, but 
Later on, when she became a teenager, she started saying, no, it's not really yours, Jeff. The mother did. I said, get the fucking DNA test because you've been paying for this. I've been paying for this kid the whole time because I supported him his whole life. That was probably not a good idea. Do you know what I mean? Because then it afforded him to just sit on the boat, his houseboat that I bought him, and drink. Um, So basically, I killed my brother. You don't believe that, do you? No, I don't. But I wish I was more tough with him, I guess. But... He was just a year younger than me. So I'm on the phone with that woman who controls the money saying, saying, okay, but so the money is going to be split with my kids and that one. So did he find out if that, if that is, is really his daughter? Did he ever find out and get the, the blood test? She's like, no, he never knew. What the? No, fuck this. This is fucking. I started yelling like, because the money's going to be split to a girl who might not even be his. And I and as I'm getting upset like this, my brother just died. <laughs> he, just, uh, he was just over it. He just like I. He just didn't like see me get upset, and, and he knew it was his fault. He never got the DNA. He's like, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. So you hear the thing actually going? Beep. No, no, no. I was right there next to him, and I was I couldn't get my eyes off him the whole time. I was there for days. I just was watching him, and he just stopped breathing, and his eyes went like dead. You can tell when somebody dies. And I, I did have to say to the woman on the phone, hang on a minute. I think my brother just died. And I had to just hang up and get the nurse. And he did. He died right there. But like I said, nobody should have to die alone. Well, he didn't because of you. I was right there. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey, everybody. I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment, and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. 
You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates, and I'm talking about the Air Doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the Air Doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. Tell me how your brother was different from you and how he was similar to you. We were polar opposites. He was a dark-skinned, very handsome uh, Native American, part Native American, very athletic, great body. I always looked up to him. I liked him. I think he's funnier than me. He just was very, very shy. You know, people were, they're funny, but they're like, no, no but it was, it's, I'm not, I'm not as funny as my mother. My mother was the fucking funny one. Things like that. Like my mom actually was really funny. And so was my dad. Everyone was so funny. I just kind of took a little bit from all of them and did my own thing. Right. But he liked to drink. So did I. We drank together. So that was a similarity. Other than that, we were polar opposites, but we got along. We would just make each other laugh. So there's a, the picture that I told you where we're all, it's a Sears family portrait on my Instagram where it's my dog, my cat, my mom, my dad, my brother, we're all there. I'm making this face like this because I'm laughing so hard at something my brother said. I can't remember what he said, but I'm laughing in the picture. And that's the fucking one they use. Do you think men are just as much of an addiction as the alcohol or no men and women look my girl i'm uh, a lot of things happened over the holidays in one week where my brother died my girlfriend moved away all those celebrities died um that was building up in me because they're all around my age our age they like they're everyone's dying so um her going away i yes the answer is yes it is. I might have more of an addiction to sex. In fact, every time I've gone into a rehab, if once I take the alcohol away, there's still a problem. And the problem is always some relationship I'm in right then and there. So it, the alcohol is a 
what symptom of a bigger problem, which is this relationship and intimacy problem. Most people want it to be reciprocated. Like if I'm pursuing you, it would be nice if you liked me back. I don't care. I don't care if you like me. I like you. Let's get something going. If you if you like it enough, we can keep going. If you hate it, just go away. Really, I, I don't, like I don't, I remember one of the guys said, don't you want somebody to like you back as much as like how you like me? I went, no, I don't really care. Why don't you care? I don't know. I just go right back to that. Because uh, it was because I was adopted. That's where you go each time. Uh, because it has to be. Your brother was adopted. Yeah, he never did anything with, with uh, a guy. In fact, one time, one of my friends tried to get with him, and I punched him in the dick. I was very protective of my brother's straightness. Isn't that weird? And I'm also weirdly happy that none of my kids are gay. It's all it's been a little bit of a curse. I'm not I'm not wearing this bi thing uh, like a badge and honor or whatever however you want to say it. I I don't like it. I wish I was more normal. I wish I could drink normally. I've tried every time I go back to drinking I don't go back going, "Oh, I I can't I I can't wait to get fucked up and end up in another rehab. I can't wait to go right to blackout." I can't wait to fuck my whole life up. Hand me a bottle because I'm ready to fuck my life up. Every time I've ever gone back, it's it's to try to see if I can maintain it. You know what? I think I'm ready. It's been two years. I think I can do it right this time. I think I can do it like that guy or or my kids are not alcoholics or my ex or my friends who just have a glass of wine with dinner. I'm like, I, I think I can do that now, guys. And I mean it. I really think I can. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to attempt it again. There isn't a time when you're on a frame of film or TV where you don't blow me away. And when you had the Facebook Live, when you were positioning it, it reminded me of something that I'll never forget when I was representing you on your MTV show. You directed all the episodes and you did something that I never saw anyone do before you positioned the monitor right in back of the camera that was on you so you were looking the eye of yourself of what you were doing (laughs) yeah and it was unbelievable the level of concentration you had because you were doing a scene and you were looking in a mirror if the world didn't know about anyone's personal life all they judged people on was their talent to me, you would be in the Hall of Fame as one of the funniest, most respected, unbelievable performers that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I think of all the struggles you've been through. And if you didn't have those struggles, I can't even imagine what kind of performance you could do that's better than what you do when you're on screen. Yeah. I know the things that you've done in your life have derailed parts of your career. I understand that. But I can't visualize you doing a performance any better than you do it when I see you. Mm -hmm. So why is it that the things that you go through 
when you get on camera don't affect the performances. You take somebody like Farley. You know, a very good friend, you know, a very good friend. We hung out all the time. When I think of Farley, I think of you, not yeah. the bad, but I think of the guy who's yeah. suffering, who can't gain control of the side of his personal life, yet every time he went on camera, just insanely funny with no problems. Is that something that an addict has a better chance of being better on camera because they know the depths that are much greater than anybody else? Maybe. I think you're hitting on it. I think you, you're, the answer is, is in there. I'm trying to think of it, too, the answer, with you because I know when you put it, when you mention him, I can look at him and I can see what it is. And then I go, oh, yeah, that is what it is like for me. And that is where, you know, life kind of sucks. <laughs> life sucks. I feel like I got dealt if I if I look if I map it out and I write it out it looks like a shitty hand but I made the most of it I made the most of it made the most of it made the most of it drinking when I started drinking at 14 that helped when I you know but the one thing that I've kept kind of sacred and not all the time I've messed it up is the relationship between me and any kind of like audience like I wanted to make sure I was in a really good place mind body and spirit just to do your show industry standard with barry katz because it's important to me it's taken a long time for me to get you here right that's my point i wasn't ready there were times i'm like eh, i just can't do it so that's why i have my career is very very long 30 years but they're like i turned down mugatu in zoolander will ferrell's part i turned down big parts because i wasn't quite i wasn't there I couldn't. So I, I, when you see me and the light turns on, the red light's on, and I'm doing great, it's because I know I'm going to do great. If there's a role offered and I think, I don't, I can't really, I can't do anything with that, I'll say no to it if I don't think I'm going to shine in it. So I kind of pick and choose my things and, and only if, if it's going to serve both of us, me and the audience. Do you feel like Will Ferrell is an example of what you would look like Without alcohol yes, and drugs. For sure. Yeah. He didn't even know how to do the fucking character. You know, Ben Stiller popped in a video cassette because I had been doing the character on the VH1 Fashion Awards. And I did the table read with Drake Sather, who blew his head off, remember? He wrote it, but, but you know, it was, it was for me. And we had been writing my shorts together, he and I. And Drake Sather, for those of you who don't know, was an incredible stand-up comedian from the Northwest. He did Letterman when he was a feature act. Incredible. He became a great writer. He wrote on news radio. But a tortured yeah. soul, and he took his own life. Took his own life while he was on the phone with his wife, Marnie, who's wonderful. And he had five kids. It was so tragic. I saw Marnie after that, and I fell on the floor crying. I can't deal all these people just fucking dying. But the thing is, is that when we're on the stage or when we are in front of a camera, I'm talking about we, me and the Chris Farley's and the other, as you say, tortured souls of the world. Things are great. And it, it comes from a, a little bit of a desperation. There is a desperation like it. See, you guys like me. It's like that Sally Fields thing, you know, like. I can feel it and and I'm providing a service all this misery and bullshit it 
it wasn't all for naught. There's something like I, I've, and you do too. We all have our finger on the pulse of what it's like to be a human being, like the misery of it, you know? And I think that's just where all the, the great characters come from. What is that? There's a new show called OA. That's it. With Britt Marlin. She wrote it, directed it. She must have something going on with her. But there's one character in it that's a bully that that gets jealous of this guy who starts to date his ex. And the guy's in choir. So he's in the chorus choir of high school. And, and the bully walks right up to him and just punches him in the throat. In the throat so he can't sing anymore. I'm like, and he's one of the good guys in this series so uh, i i hate that because i he's not there's nothing good about him at all to me but that's the thing everybody has a good side do you know what i mean i do i think of you when you're performing you never feel like having a drink you're happy oh but that's not true i do i have drank and gone on stage i'm saying when you're on stage there's nothing that makes me higher you're right i am higher than anything i'm buzzing I was vibrating the other night after I got off the, the comedy store stage. I was vibrating. And I was like, this, I feel like I'm high. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to go right back on. How long before the high goes away? Seconds. I mean, it just goes away. <laughs> do you get depressed right after? I do. I have post-show blues all the time. That's why I have to keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. When you're with a guy or a girl intimately... After it's all over. Right away. That's why I, what I liked about my girlfriend. She was, it, we went out for two years and it was just, she was just always there. She's my girlfriend. It's not like this like hook up and then I got to look for the next one or wait for that person to decide, oh, that was kind of fun. Let me go back. It's been three weeks, but I just, I, I would like a nice, I like having a girlfriend. What else gives you a high besides those things? Mm. That's there's nothing no bigger high than like like doing Letterman. That was so great. The first time I did Letterman. It's amazing. Will you tell our audience about it? Letterman called up and said he wanted me to do characters like Chris Elliott did, the guy under the stairs. And then the first guy was that he wanted me to play was Donnie, the CBS page who likes to suck up. And I was just the CBS page who seats people in their seats or whatever. But I'm just a big brown nosing kiss ass just sucking up to david letterman and i was so that is arriving as a comic if you're on letterman there's nothing beyond that there's just nothing better than that nothing nothing especially letterman somebody like me a more alternative comic letterman was just it i couldn't even believe it so here i am behind the big double doors listening for my cue my cue's coming up i hear my cue and i honestly i thought i was going to shit my pants and i was going to be walking out with diarrhea dripping down my leg and and i was going to just ruin everything and right when i heard my cue and i was shaking somebody tapped me you're not going out it's not happening today i went oh fucking thank god I wouldn't have been able to pull it off. I don't think I would have been able to. I went on the next night, but I had a whole 24 hours to like process what, wow, I, 
I was, I went right up to, I heard my cue. I was pushing on the double doors and they went, nope, no. We just, they got, we just, hello? Yeah, we just, <laughs> you're not going on. Isn't that, that, it was from God because it was like going through all the motions of what I was going to do and, but not having to do it, but also not dying. I thought I was going to die. Was that the first time you ever had anxiety before a performance? Oh, fuck no. When I, one of the other big ones was auditioning for Second City out here in L.A. But you already had been accepted in Chicago. I didn't, I was never in it. No, they, like when I was, I was a high school student and they, they offered me all the classes for free. They say, we need you. We're going to train you. You can have all five levels free. Here you go. I went through all five levels, did them. They said, great. Now we need, we want you to go into the touring company. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to move to LA. I, I'm going to skip it. I'm going to skip the second city thing. And I, I can't, I skipped a lot of steps because people told me you're so great. They're, they're looking. There was a, an agent out in Chicago named Harris Davidson who said, Andy, you know, I discourage all of my clients from going to LA. I tell them, don't even bother. You're going to get lost. It's just not going to happen. But with you, I'm encouraging you to go to LA. That's kind of the last thing I heard in Chicago. I like had my bags packed and I just was leaving. And I didn't wait to go into Second City. Came out to LA and then they decided to open up a Second City a year later in LA. I'm like, oh my God. Well, I might as well try to get it in it now. They already had their main cast. It was Ryan Stiles, Robin Duke, Andrea Martin. They like got all their big wigs and created this amazing cast with uh, Colin, Ryan Stiles' friend, uh, Chris Barnes. And then they, they, they had people audition for the touring company. Molly Shannon auditioned for the touring company. Didn't get in. I remember asking her out on a date and she laughed at me like I was joking, but I was not joking. I'm like, no, I'm really, I'm serious. <laughs> then I just thought she was a lesbian, which jury's out with that. She could be, who knows? I love her. She's hysterical. Anyhow, she didn't need the touring company. So I got into the touring company. The, the audition for the touring company was we got, we had to go on stage and do a little show in front of a live audience. What did you choose to do? Well, we improvised. So we had to improvise. But you know as well as I do. When you improvise, there's a Rolodex in the back of your head of things you can pull out. My big thing is, my like thing that I'm good at is really being in the moment. So I listen to people and react. You never pull anything that's in the back of your mind from something seven years ago. No, I don't have... I don't have like that Joan. I wish I did, by the way, because I, I find myself always kind of saying little funny things. And I'm, I tell whoever I'm with, please write that down. But I don't remember like Joan Rivers. Did you see that amazing documentary on Joan? It's, I've seen it like five times. And it was so fucking good. She all these years from the 50s till now. She was in Second City, by the way. She does have a Rolodex. You want to do a, a joke about thinning hair? Look, I've got 150 of them. <laughs> like, she's fucking amazing. I, I never had that. But you were asking me if I'd ever been nervous like that letterman thing. That was a moment where, where I was. Going on stage in front of a lot of live people, I really wanted it badly to be in the second city because they paid. I'd get into equity. This sounds great. I'm here in L.A. The L.A. thing wasn't working out that great like Harris Davidson thought it would for me. 
I wasn't like getting cast all over the place. I did get a small part in Anything But Love with Richard Lewis and Jamie Lee Curtis. And I got that Dennis Hopper movie. I was doing well. Only uh, the only thing that goes wrong is me, me and and the alcohol. So and speaking of, I drank five margaritas, five. You drank them before the audition. It was a show. It was a show in front of a live audience. And I drank them and I was so loose that I was just super funny and I got hired. We got sixty dollars a week and we toured around like Berkeley and, you know, all University of San Diego, you know, all the colleges around California. And I understudied Chris Barnes. So I had to sit there every night. I wanted to anyways. I want, I was living improv. I was living second city. I loved it. I just lived it. And I watched the show every night because I loved it, but also because I needed to watch Chris Barnes because I was his understudy. I had to know his lines and he had a cocaine problem at the time. So he was out, quote unquote, sick quite often. And I, they would go, Andy, you're on tonight. What? And and he would change his lines weekly. The, the, the scenes in, in Second City would evolve and get better and better and better. They'd throw some lines out, do new bits and all this. I had to watch this show to know what <laughs> what's going on. One time, and this was during... This was during one of the fucking big, the, one of the shows where I was understudy with, with um, Richard Kind. I had a scene. Oh, yeah. I, I was doing Richard Kind's scene about Ali McGraw. And I didn't even know who that is. I guess she's in The uh, Getaway and Love Story. Love Story, yeah. Never saw it. So Louis Arquette, you know, Louis Arquette has all the Arquettes. Patricia, David Arquette. Alexis Arquette. I was closest with Alexis Arquette, who just died. She was a, a transgender. She got the operation, but she died this year. Everybody's just died. That's what's kind of freaking me out, dude. Anyhow, Louis Arquette was living in his van because he was having marital troubles and he was just crashing in his van. And he got me so high before one of our performances. We did a live show of the touring company on the main stage once a week, every Monday. And that's what it was. I was doing Richard Kind's scene from a Chicago scene because that's what we would do. The, the touring company did old scenes. We didn't improvise. We, did, we, got, we were doing John Belushi scenes. So in a way, Second City and being in the touring company really honed my comedic skills because I was doing scenes that were classic scenes. So you learned beats. You learned how to write. Do you know what I mean? So, But I got on stage. I was so fucking high from... Being in Louis Arquette's Cheech and Chong fucking band, smoking out with him, that I blanked out in the middle of that scene about Ali McGraw, and I was just standing there, blanking out, and the lights just went off in the middle. <laughs> it was just over. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com. And Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best 
water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And finally, Boku Superfoods, the purest, most potent, and delicious certified organic, kosher, and vegan superfood blends on the planet. Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries with their incredible formulated powers that you just add any liquid to and make the healthiest drinks or smoothies in the world. Just go to BokuSuperfood.com. That's B-O-K-U Superfood.com. Look for the three-pack trial. Enter the promo code Barry at checkout. Just pay a minimal shipping fee and get a full week's supply of Boku Superfood for free. I guarantee you'll look and feel better and understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. Anything that gets you out there in front of the public, kind of, this is just, this is for actors and whatever, but you can apply it to, any, to anything. Get internships. Just get involved. Don't sit on your fucking ass and go, I can't wait to be famous. It ain't gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. You've gotta get out there. Get out there. Go to your community theater. If you don't have a community theater, guess what? Fucking start one. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out. All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave... 
Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.